If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. We're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the October 12th, 2020 edition of IMRU Radio Magazine, the world's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show, out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Tonight, we remember Matt Shepard, with two features on the 22nd anniversary of his death on October 12th, 1998. Then we take a lighthearted look at the denizens of the Conk Republic and go La Vida Loca with songwriter Desmond Child, his husband, children, and surrogate. Matthew Wayne Shepard died in Laramie, Wyoming on the morning of October 12, 1998, from severe injuries due to a brutal beating and torture. He was 21 years old. He was gay. The NBC television network, with the cooperation of Matthew's parents, has produced a film about his life and his death. It's called The Matthew Shepard Story. The defense has trotted out a lot of wild theories about why Aaron McKinney killed Matthew Shepard. First, it was gay panic, as if Matthew Shepard, all five foot two inches and 105 pounds of him, struck such terror into Aaron McKinney and his friend that they had to kill him. Then, when that was thrown out by the court, all of a sudden, it was robbery. Well, what is it? Is it gay panic? A robbery. It can't be both. Now, they're begging for your sympathy. Poor Aaron McKinney, not that bright, unhappy, uh, dabbling in drugs and alcohol. That man lured Matthew Shepard to the middle of nowhere, tied him to a fence, then beat him senseless with a butt of a foot-long pistol, and now he has the gall to ask for your sympathy? I am Judy Shepard. I am the executive director of the Matthew Shepard Foundation and the mother of Matthew Shepard. Matt came out to me when he was 18, and when he told me, I asked him what took him so long to tell me, because I'd sort of been working on that idea for about 10 years and had a little time to do some research and some investigation, and at that time, not much information was positive. So we were very fearful for his safety and his happiness. We thought, you know, he would never be happy. He would always be afraid. There would always be the possibility of losing his job or losing his housing or not getting housing or never finding a committed partner. We were very afraid. But there were darker fears to come. One of the surprises of the film is that Matthew Shepard had been brutalized before. On a class trip to Morocco, he was gang raped. The act of rape itself is really more about power and humiliation than it is about any kind of sex or affection. It's all about power and humiliation and it's just one more form of beating down. 
was very raped me, mom. It's okay. Oh, honey. I get you home. And everything's gonna be alright. Mom. Yeah. I'm gay. I know, baby. I wanted to tell you. Today, Judy Shepard is a full-time activist for tolerance. When he died and we began to be in touch with the community and we were educated into what they were facing still, which was equal job opportunities, housing opportunities, even loan opportunities, we were just outraged. You know, we just thought civil rights meant everybody was included. And to find out that that wasn't the case was really very frustrating. So since Matthew has died and the trials are over, Dennis and I have been speaking out about uh, equality issues, legislatively in particular, and just trying to make people realize that people are people. These things don't define who we are. They don't define every aspect of our lives. And we're just trying to make the general public at large aware of that. And when I speak, yes, I do get mostly the choir, but they talk to people and they talk to people, and the ripples just continue on. One of the men who killed Matthew Shepard was an Eagle Scout. The Boy Scouts would not have welcomed her son, and the irony isn't lost on Judy Shepard. The official policy of the Boy Scouts encourages prejudice, and not just against gays, but religion and gender. What they are saying to their young people is that it's okay. It's okay to feel prejudice and hate against a section of our community. Well, it's not okay. And the very fact that some institutions, churches, whatever, continue this prejudice, in particular against the gay community, makes society at whole think that it's okay to hate and perpetrate violence against them, that no one will care. My name is Shane Meyer, and I portray Matthew Shepard in The Matthew Shepard Story, which uh, is set to air on NBC. I knew that it was going to be an extremely difficult subject matter to deal with, and I wanted to do it right. A, because I knew that it's going to be watched worldwide. And B, Judy Shepard, hey man, I'm portraying her son. He was the opposite of what these people were that did this to him. He was not a mean person. He was a very warm person. He was happy to be alive. He was full of positive energy. He was always willing to accept different people in his life. He was always very kind to people that he didn't know. He was always the, the peacemaker. He was always trying to make peace with two people that were disagreeing with each other. He was not a big guy. He's not a very intimidating fellow. He's not six foot eight. He was he was five foot two, five foot three, 110 pounds. For this kind of thing to happen to him, he was almost crucified on this fence in the middle of beautiful Wyoming. And there's another scene in the movie where Stockard portraying Judy Shepard turns around and looks at where he died and she says this is the last thing he saw and the camera shows a beautiful, beautiful countryside with the beautiful, gorgeous Wyoming sunset setting in the background and, and that's how he died and that's just another irony of it, you know? You know it's okay. I mean, we're gay too. I, I thought you guys were gonna jump me. <laughs> no, what? Well, you, you followed me in here and I just thought... Well, I'm not gonna tell you out there. No, no, I... It's not. Uh, hey, lesson news. Nice meeting you guys. Take off. Yeah, yeah, okay then. What, you leaving already? It's early. Yeah, you know, I got class tomorrow and I'm tired. College boy, right? Good for you, man. Uh, hey, you know, we can give you a ride home if you want. Really? Yeah, it's not a big deal or anything. Yeah? Okay, yeah. All right, then. 
The Matthew Shepard story stars Shane Meyer as Matthew, with Sam Waterston and Stockard Channing as Judy and Dennis Shepard. It airs Saturday, March 16th on NBC. For information on the Matthew Shepard Foundation, point your internet browser to www.matthewshepard.org. This has been Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Judy Shepard. Since Matthew's death, his father Dennis and I have started the Matthew Shepard Foundation. The goal of that foundation is to educate and raise awareness. After Matthew's death, we discovered we knew very little about what was going on in the world regarding hate and discrimination. We also discovered how powerful one person can be in making changes in our world. I want you to know that you too can make a difference if you choose to make the commitment. You can change the world. You can do it as an individual. You can do it as part of a group. You just need to make the choice. Hate is a learned behavior, and we can unlearn that behavior. We can live our lives in love if we make the choice. If you get the message, share it. Don't keep it. And thank you again for listening. Doesn't my mother cry like everyone? My father grieves for his lonely son. And isn't the air in my lungs the same air you breathe? So who cares? Whose arms more wrapped up in? Who cares? Who's the Matthew Shepard story streams for free on YouTube. Find a direct link on the IMRU Facebook page. Although Judy Shepard has appeared on IMRU a number of times, her husband, Dennis, has been more elusive. Until we covered the documentary, Matt Shepard was a friend of mine, from best friend Michelle Husway. Steve Pride reports. The victim of what many people say was a hate crime in Wyoming this morning has died. 21-year-old Matthew Shepard was found beaten and unconscious last week near the University of Wyoming. Shepard was gay. Millions of people around the world see Matthew Shepard as a gay rights icon. And his brutal 1998 murder was a crystallizing moment in the crusade for LGBT equality. But symbols aren't flesh and blood. Matt was. He was 5 foot 2 inches tall. He weighed just 105 pounds. When he died, he still had braces. What were his likes, his dislikes? What kind of person was he? A new documentary made by one of his closest high school friends, with the cooperation of his parents, answers that question. Hello, I'm Michelle Husway, the director of Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. Hello, I'm Dennis Shepard, Matthew Shepard's father. Michelle, why make the documentary now? I think I just didn't have the courage until now. I, I don't have a really simplistic answer for it. It's just when Matt died, I was only 19, and it was really kind of confusing for me. You know, I was just figuring out my own life and the world around me, and suddenly I realized that the world was a very cruel place. So it was... Very, very devastating, and it just took me many, many, many years to kind of be able to even talk about Matt and my friendship with him without just crying, unfortunately. So I think it's just a lack of courage on my part and being so emotionally confused about how someone who was so gentle and kind could be taken away in such a horrific fashion. So it, it honestly, the grief was so profound for all of us that it took 12 years for us to even begin embarking on a project like this. What was he like in high school? When I first met Matt, he was really 
quite shy, I think. I think he was homesick, as we all were. But you could tell that there was something more there. So we got to know each other really well through theater. And, you know, when you do a lot of productions, you spend a lot of time together. And I quickly learned he had a really wicked sense of humor. And he just blossomed, I think, in our school. And he was really gregarious and, and just generous and loved everyone. And I I think he was kind of like the unofficial mayor of our school. He just loved everyone and not only the students, like the teachers and, and the, the staff, you know, the people who would clean up the classrooms and the cafeteria and stuff. Everyone loved him. He was so kind and so big hearted. And that's really unique. Now that I'm older, I can look back and just really think about Wow, like you don't really meet people like that very often. What is the difference between Matthew Shepard and Matt Shepard? I always think of Matthew and Matt as two separate things. You know, Matthew is this gay rights icon who's the face of the inequality and violence that the LGBT community faces on a daily basis. But then Matt is something very precious to us. He was a human being. He was a son, a brother, a really, really good friend, and that's very sacred. But now with the time and the perspective, we just felt it was very important to share that human side of him and, and show the world that behind the headline, there was a real person, and he left behind a group of people that still miss him. So I, I don't know. I just... You have these great ideas and politics and activism, but at the heart of it all, it's we're all human beings. So it was just really important for me to try and have people connect to Matt again in that way, or maybe for the first time in that way. I don't know who Matthew Shepard is. All I know is my son, Matt, with his highs and his lows and his smile and his love for politics and theater and always being able to, to meet people and make them instantly friends of his. The Matthew Shepard is something that was being created by the media and by people inside and outside the gay community who needed a symbol. And he became a symbol with the way that, that he looked and his being just a ordinary country kid who ended up going overseas to school and blossomed with his ability to speak multiple languages and his size his love of the theater, politics, people. Everybody could see something in him that related to them. So he became the symbol of the abuse and the lack of equality that the straight community enjoyed. And the struggle that came because of that, the way he died and, and the way he had lived and his friends and everything, it just became a natural for the media to pick up on it. That's what surprised us the most. Of all the hate crime victims in the gay community over the years, Matt was the one who ended up uh, as the forefront. And the transition into the discussions that we have now. You went from grieving father to LGBT activist very quickly. What have you learned over these last 17 years? The thing I've learned is how close-minded people are, just like they were with interracial marriage and civil rights but the abuse, the intolerance, and the lack of equality that the gay community was receiving through these years has just been a real eye-opener to both Judy and myself. We just didn't realize it. And I think that's what's caused a lot of the change. 
a lot of the straight community didn't realize that. They thought, well, they're Americans. They have all the same rights. It turns out they didn't. They couldn't adopt. They couldn't get married. They couldn't inherit. They couldn't have hospital privileges. None of that that the straight community takes for granted. How can you say you're an American citizen and not have the same rights? You pay the same taxes. Did anything surprise you watching this film? We learned a couple things that we were surprised about. One of them was that he was afraid to tell us he was gay, even though we thought we had an open relationship with the kids. I think it was just due to the culture of the country and, and just the whole thing. The other thing that was a surprise was that he journaled so much, and it was so introspective, the things that he was concerned about, and his letters to his friends. That was pretty amazing that he was so prolific a writer but he just would never send them out. They were all in his possessions that we would be cleaned out his apartment until Michelle came along. We just didn't want to open those up and look what was in there because we didn't want to get to the point where there's gum wrappers and stuff. Let's throw that away. Because anytime you took something like that and threw it away, you were throwing away a part of Matt. So we just left it there so that if somebody like Michelle wanted to come and, and do research and do a movie or a book that we approved of or something like that. We had the materials there, just like we did all the letters that came in when Matt was in the hospital and afterwards. That became part of the uh, display that they showed at Ford Theater when they did the Laramie Project. And that display is now being given to the foundation, and we send it around the country with various productions of the Laramie Project. But it all came in at the same time just... It's part of Matt that we, we don't want to lose. And it's hard to watch. And again, it's, it's great to see him again. It's bittersweet that we had to make this film. I really wish... <laughs> Sorry. Take your time. It's hard. We've been doing press a lot. So. <laughs> Take your time. No, I just wish we never had to make this film. It's important to me as his friend that people get to know him as someone other than just a victim. He was so much more. <laughs> Sorry. I just want people to know that he was a good person, and he was so much more than the way in which he died. Sorry. This has been a conversation with Matt's dad, Dennis Shepard, and his high school friend, documentarian Michelle Hosway. Find more information on her film at mattshepardisafriendofmine.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Matt Shepard was a friend of mine. Can be rented on Vimeo or Amazon. Don't go away. We'll be right back. A Google Doodle for Alan Turing. Coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The man who helped crack the Enigma code during World War II, also known as the father of modern computing, was honored with a Google Doodle on his 100th birthday. He was Alan Turing, born on June 23, 1912. While most Google Doodles are easy to grasp, the Turing Doodle was not so much. It was like cracking a code. The Doodle takes the form of a Turing machine, with a series of ones and zeros and arrows pointing right and left. After pushing a start button, the goal is to spell out the word Google in binary. 
It's a modern twist on Turing's code-breaking skills, which helped the Allies track military and naval units, and helped shorten World War II, saving millions of lives. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Jim Nelson. This is Judy Shepard, author of The Meaning of Matthew, My Son's Murder in Laramie, and A World Transformed. And you are listening to I Am Are You. Welcome back. I'm Michael Taylor Gray, and you're listening to IMRU Radio. They have a motto in Key West, One Human Family, coined by James Thompson, an HIV-positive activist, organizer, and designer. It represents Key West, the tiny island best known for its queer inclusiveness. The charm Key West offers is so unlike other Florida cities that many locals call it un-Florida, and consider the island to be more Caribbean than United States. Its reputation as a refuge for LGBT people has been reflected in local politics. The city was one of the first in the U.S. to elect an out gay mayor. A while back, Steve Pride paid them a visit. Key West is a city and an island of the same name at the southernmost tip of the continental United States. It's closer to Havana than Miami, about half the distance, and not real big, only 7.4 square miles. It was where Tennessee Williams wrote A Streetcar Named Desire, and it was the first U.S. town to elect an openly gay mayor. The official motto of Key West is, One Human Family, and to the people that live there, it's more than words on a bumper sticker. Recently, I spent time in Key West, and I want to introduce you to some of the people I met there. So I'll shut up now and let them talk. My name is Carol Shaughnessy. I'm a writer and a almost 30-year Key West resident. I came down here as a naive 20-year-old Minnesota girl. I found a small town where people were friendly. The weather was gorgeous. You were accepted for who you were. And the community gave you the latitude to grow into who you wanted to be. You're judged not on externals, but on what you have to give and uh, what kind of uh, commitment you want to make to the community. It's much more about what's in your heart than what's in your wallet. I found that lack of pretentiousness and that straightforward friendliness to be incredible. I've been here now for almost 30 years, and I can't imagine living anywhere else. Hi, I'm Tom Oosterhout. I've lived in Key West almost 25 years now. The 70s and 80s were a whole different thing. The Keys was the wild, wild west. This was the center of drug imports for much of America. So you had marijuana and coke flowing. You had a very open gay society because it was pre-AIDS. And I look back and that certainly was a different time and place than what we have today. Of course, with AIDS, the whole sexual revolution came to a grinding halt and uh, the feds cracking down on drug running and all that. The whole nature of the Keys and Key West was tamed by the late 80s and 90s. So the Key West you see today is a very tamed Key West, although it's still a wonderful place that cherishes its diversity. 
Although many major metropolitan cities claim huge ethnic populations, Key West, we have just about everybody represented here, but because it's a one and a half mile by four mile long island, it's tiny and we all have to work and play side by side. So if you're gay, straight, black, white, Catholic, Jew, whatever, you're uh, working side by side with someone that's probably very different than you. I mean, they could be a gay, black, Puerto Rican. You never know here. So not only do we cherish our diversity, we live it. We uh, make it a way of life. When I first came to Key West in the late 70s, it was definitely not a tourist community. It was a commercial fishing community. And again, it was quite poor at that time. The gay community played an incredible part in the revitalization of Key West, buying the old beautiful Victorians, which unfortunately mostly were held together by termite spit because, as I said, it was a poor community, restoring these houses to their former glory, opening guest houses, opening businesses. The gay community played a very big and very welcome part in the creation of the Key West that visitors will see today. My name is Neil Chamberlain. I'm a resident of Key West. I own the gay information website, pistolandenema.com, the largest gay information website in Key West. Running a business in Key West can be very difficult, can be very trying at times. I'm very fortunate in the business I run. I love it. Not many people can do what they love and make a living at it. I get to go out to the clubs, hang out with my friends, meet new people constantly. When you get into the gay and straight lines, there are many people that have been coming here since the early 80s and 90s that wanted to stay at like a male-only resort or a female-only resort. They kind of made their own segregation in a way by doing that. Even though they were welcome anywhere in Key West, they felt more comfortable in the company of just men or just women. We are a very blended community, and I think in a way it has hurt us in the fact that some people do want to come down and stay at a gay resort or go to a gay club. Technically, we have just a few gay clubs in a small area. However, all of our clubs are all welcome. But a lot of people, when they come down, they say, what gives? This is supposed to be such a gay community. Why are there only five gay clubs? Well, there are five clubs that are identified as gay, but, you know, there's another 70 that anyone can go into. My name's Heather Carruthers, and I'm a co-owner of Pearl's Rainbow here in Key West. Pearl's Rainbow is the largest resort for women in the world. We've got 38 rooms and suites and two pools, two hot tubs, a restaurant, a poolside bar. All our rooms have private baths. We've been in existence since 2000. The property itself has been here and operating as a women's space since 1989. Hello, I'm Gary Walker from the Equator Resort in Key West, Florida. The Equator Resort's going on its 10th year here in Key West. We have all male. I'd say the average age is anywhere between, I'd say, 35 to 45. We have 19 rooms here on site, and it has that southern hospitality. I'm a southern girl, honey. <laughs> My name is Philippe, working at Alexander's Guest House. The Guest House has been uh, open, gay, lesbian for the past 25 years. We have mostly couples, I would say, from 25 up to 75, yeah. In the 75, they've been together for like 30 years and 40 years, and they've been here for like the past 10 years, year after year. They always come back. Jerry Tinlin, I'm the Vice President and General Manager of Oasis, Coral Tree Inn, and Coconut Grove. People who come down here often, often buy down here because they love that laid-back, easy-going lifestyle I think one of the big attractions is that this is the end of the road. You can't go any further than Key West. That's out into the ocean, 160 miles off the mainland. Those are attractions to people who can afford to buy a second home here, which is a lot of the commerce that goes on, or buy a home here and move here. 
Hi, I'm Martha Robinson. I am a full-time realtor for 20 years in Key West, Florida. We've had a wonderful ride for many, many years. We've watched everybody renovate our homes and the conch houses and in Newtown, Old Town, Midtown, and then um, with the hurricanes, so many of them last year. And then we had the flood for the last one, Wilma, and that kind of devastated a lot of folks. It was very, very difficult, and everything just seemed to stop. In my opinion, this adjustment has not been so horrible because it is allowing other people to buy right now. I have a customer who's in the dog grooming business, and he's always wanted to buy a home and couldn't, and now we are able to get him into the market. So things like that are happening. I mean, we're talking about four dollars and $500,000 as being affordable. However, a little tiny condominium unit did just sell in the $269,000 range. I can't imagine living anywhere else, but the cost of living is very high. And a lot of people come here with the idea of living in paradise. And it is paradise, but it's an expensive paradise. Employment is very tough down here. Or getting good employees is tough. We jokingly say anybody that shows up for work on the second day is a long-term employee. There's plenty of jobs. If you're willing to come down here and work hard, you'll do fine. I'm not quite ready to move, but I can't wait to get back there for a visit. My thanks to Carol, Tom, Neil, Heather, Philippe, Jerry, and Martha. In part two of our visit, we'll meet a few more island folk, including the head of the Key West Rooster Rescue, a new go-go boy who heals with his hands, and the former queen mother of Key West. More info about Key West can be found online at pistolandenema.com, and as always, there's more at prideonscreen.com. Until next time, this is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Nibbling on sponge cake Watching the sun bake All of those tourists Covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Don't think we're done with our visit. Few people realize the impact the LGBT community had on Key West beginning in the 1970s. That's when gay men and lesbians discovered the island city, attracted by the same things that attracted others, a year-round subtropical climate, a renegade literary and creative community, a live-and-let-live atmosphere, and scores of dilapidated Victorian houses awaiting restoration. Now, back to our visit. Hello, I'm Steve Pride. Last time, I introduced some people I met in Key West, and they shared their stories. In this final part of the adventure, we'll be rejoining the tour. For your safety and comfort, please remain seated at all times, even while taking pictures. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the all aboard from Ryan the Conductor, so we'll be on our way. Hi, I'm Steve Smith. I work for the Florida Keys Tourism Office. I'm a sales manager for the gay and lesbian markets. When they did the census in 2000, one of the boxes that we all got to check if we chose to do it was, are you in a same-sex domestic partnership situation? When those numbers were compiled, you got to remember, we're two miles by four miles. We're closer to Cuba than to the United States of America. We had per capita more same-sex couples than any other city in the United States. Isn't that an interesting thing? I'm J.T. Thompson, and I am the founder of One Human Family Foundation, which has a mission of promoting equality and unity for all people around the world. I came up with the words One Human Family, started printing them on bumper stickers. I printed 2,000 originally, and since then we've given out over 700,000 stickers all over the world. 
the city commission in October of 2000 made One Human Family the official philosophy of Key West. In many places, there is a tremendous pressure to be as average, as ordinary, as common, and blend in as much as possible. And in Key West, people are really rewarded for being creative and unique and different. So this really is the perfect community for One Human Family to take hold because there's very little in the way of judgment that goes on. We attract eccentrics here. I'm Katha Sheehan. My store is the Chicken Store, and I'm captain of the Rooster Rescue Team in Key West. It's kind of a traditional thing here to have the free-ranging chickens in the streets and under the houses and in the backyards. We have the most profound respect for the chickens. They are quasi-protected. Most people will stop you from doing anything harmful to them, stop you from chasing them and so forth. And then you try and take something to the state attorney and uh, they lose the uh, files or something. So I have to ask before I leave, what exactly is a street chicken? Uh, it's like a chicken gone bad. <laughs> a street chicken is a uh, chicken that belongs to himself. He doesn't belong to anybody else. And... Uh, he lives by his wits and uh, thumbs his nose at rules and regulations. My name's Brad. I lived in Key West for seven years. I do whatever I like, and Key West is a place that allows me to do that. And primarily, my life revolves around helping people heal. I do that through touch, and I do it by using sound, by using ceremonies that I create myself. So. I'm somewhat of a magician, really, and <laughs> in a way, um, I've been influenced a lot by Native American traditions and even by shamanic traditions of Siberia. I prefer to help people heal sexually and erotically, so I work with erotic energy. I like to bring people to full states of erotic and sexual ecstasy, and I just chose to be a dancer because it allows me to do that with numerous people every night. But it seems to be much more effective when I can do it one-on-one -on -one with someone in a much quieter place. So I've created a, a sanctuary in my home for sexual healing. Who am I? Richard. Richard Dennison. The Queen Mother is a wild little pageant. It's actually the highest drag title that you can have on the island. And you have to really earn it. Um, you can be pretty. You can have expensive gowns. You can have a wonderful talent number. But if you haven't given to the community... And I competed three years and was first runner-up three years in a row. And finally, on the fourth try, I won it. After Wilma hit, we had like six foot of water in our home, and uh, everything was destroyed. My other half and I are getting ready to walk out the house to a friend's home that was in the dry section. And as we were walking out, he said, if there's anything in this house that you want, you better grab it now. I turned around and looked, and the only thing I saw that I really wanted was my queen mother crown. I picked it up, I put it on my head, I grabbed my two pups, and down the street we walked, waving at the crowd as we walked through five foot of water. This is a melting pot. It's just a wonderful place where people are free to be individuals as opposed to belonging to some kind of a group or having to affiliate themselves with a group of other people in order to get by. Here we really respect the individual as he or she is pretty much on their own terms. And that's what's so beautiful about it. My name is Carol Shaughnessy. You never know who you're going to be spending time with because this is such a wildly, cheerfully diverse community. You go into a restaurant and you might be sitting next to someone who has just arrived from Berlin or you might be sitting next to 
the president of a bank, or you might be sitting next to a drag queen, or you might be sitting next to a drag queen who is the president of a bank. And everybody gets along. I know that sounds like a Pollyanna world, but it's absolutely true. And and come down and see for yourself. But according to Neil Chamberlain, even paradise has a downside. It's very difficult to date in Key West. Basically, when we go into low season, there are so few tourists coming in that we begin to sleep with our locals. And we call that sister season. And during low season, people seem to like pair off. All of a sudden, you have a boyfriend for the summer. And then as soon as the fall hits and it starts getting cooler again and tourists start coming to town, I think it's time to be single again. <laughs> the Business Guild website is Gay Key West FL for Florida. F is in Frank, L is in Lucy. GayKeyWestFL.com. You also can go to the Florida Keys website, which is FLA-Keys.com, or check out Pistol and Enema. Com. That website always has a little bit of daily gossip. Whatever happened last night is on there. And you know what? We don't mind telling you you were a mess last night when you were laying on the sidewalk. Or we might say, who was that gorgeous guy you were talking to or that gorgeous girl you were talking to? So it's about having fun here. And when you live here and you work here, it's like being on vacation every day. It spoiled me now because when I go on vacation, I keep wondering why I left home. Well, that's the end of our stay in paradise. My thanks to Steve, Katha, Carol, Neil, Richard, and a very, very special thanks to Brad. Also thanks to the Island House Resort, where I stayed, for making an old guy comfortable with the words clothing optional, and to Chef Michael at Antonio's Restaurant for making food so great, I don't regret any of the weight I gained. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. I'm headed for the Our visit was a snapshot in time, pre-COVID. The Key West that emerges from the pandemic is expected to be markedly different, but I expect it'll still be a place for a gay old time. We'll be right back after this quick break. A Google Doodle for Maury Sendak, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. On June 10, 2013, Google honored children's book author and illustrator Maurice Sendak with a doodle on its homepage. It would have been Sendak's 85th birthday. He died in 2012. Sendak's partner of 50 years, Dr. Eugene Lin, died five years before him. The doodle features young boy Max from Sendak's 1963 book, Where the Wild Things Are. Dressed in his wolf costume, Max is standing right between the syllables in the word Google, with ghastly creatures assembled below. The book was awarded the Caldecott Medal in 1964. In a 2007 National Education Association online poll, it was listed among the teacher's top 100 books for children. A 2012 poll by School Library Journal deemed it among the top 100 picture books. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Roby Martin. Hello, I'm Dennis Shepard, Matthew Shepard's father. And you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine. Welcome back. I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Songwriter Desmond Child wrote the soundtrack of your life. And with his husband and a surrogate, they built a family. The documentary 
2, The Story of Roman and Nairo, is about iconic songwriter Desmond Child, plus child, plus child, plus husband, plus BFF surrogate. It's about the real new normal. Desmond Child. Curtis Shaw Child. Angela Whitaker, surrogate mother of those beautiful boys. Did you have the hardest job? I don't know. I've thought about that a lot as far as if I had the hardest job or not. And oftentimes I think I did not have the hardest job because I strictly, it was a really hard job at some times because it was quite an emotional journey for me. But once we transitioned into that next chapter, I really think that Desmond and Curtis then had the hardest jobs because they became these parents of these beautiful boys and the responsibility that comes with that on a day-to-day basis. How did Angela end up carrying your children? Angela and I had known each other in Nashville before through a common friend, and Desmond and I had gotten to know Deepak Chopra, and he had invited us to go to a How to Know God conference in Agra, India. And Angela had been and is still one of Deepak's primordial sound meditation teachers. So I knew that she was going to be there. And in the first moment of arriving at the hotel, Angela and her mother, Ruby, come in onto the scene. Yeah, I mean, they were literally the first familiar face that I saw there. So we got to know each other very, very well. And that's the first time I met Desmond, and it was just a beautiful connection. And we spent, like, every waking moment together, all of us, like, on the buses, at meditation. Saving seats for one another at Saving saving meditation mats. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And tromping through all the temples barefoot together. And it just became, like, junior high school all over again. It was amazing. But I literally at dinner the night that they were discussing about this next chapter in their life and wanting to create a family, I had a dream that night that I had their baby. It was almost like a vision. You know, my mother was the only one that I told about this dream at the time. But there was only one baby in that dream, (laughs) as far as I know. I just saw myself really, really pregnant. So maybe I just wasn't getting it. And they were sending me a signpost very early on. But yeah, it was pretty magical. Tell me about the moment you found out you were carrying twins. That was definitely a moment. We put two embryos in. There was actually three that were off the charts as far as quality. They grade these eggs. But our doctor said that if you get pregnant with three, we'd have to deselect one of them. So who wants to do that, right? So we opted for putting two in. I get a call a week or so later after I'd gone in for my test with the doctor, my blood test, and he says, you know, your HCG levels are really high, which is the hormone that a woman starts producing when she's pregnant. And I go, and that is indicative of, and he said, a twin pregnancy. And I was literally driving down the 405 and had to pull off of the freeway because I was like, are you kidding me? Or I said, shut up or something like that. And he said, well, that wasn't very nice. (laughs) You know, he was joking, of course. But yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, I am going to be a house. I mean, I signed up for one and now there's two. And, but it just all worked out beautifully. And actually now I just, there's no other way I could envision it unfolding. And these two having each other and their amazing fathers. It's, you know, it was meant to be. Angela has since moved to LA, but you guys are a gay couple raising kids in a state that's tried several times to ban teachers from even saying the word gay. We have found substantial support in Tennessee in both our school communities and our sporting communities because our kids play um, Amongst a lot of Republicans. We have dinners with them and they say, well, we're socially liberal. 
you know, and it's like, okay, but when it comes down to it, you're going to vote for somebody that's going to hurt our family. And I don't think they've made that connection. Well, even family members, you know, we have family members on both sides that they make a decision that something else is more important than our rights, our rights. I was raised in the Mormon church. You know, I come from a that whole background. And, you know, when they really got on board with that whole Prop 8 thing, even here in California, that was like sending me through the roof. I wanted to put a big T-shirt on that said, I carried twins for my two best gay friends and march on the temple, you know, and just, it's just, I don't know. What did you learn about yourself in making this documentary? For me, it kind of called out the activist soul that I am and to standing up for truth and being able to try. I've always felt like I saw life as a certain way, and I just felt in living our lives every day, there couldn't be anything wrong with what we were doing and how the kids were turning out. So I just found that uh, I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. I found that I'm a lot fatter than I was <laughs> in, <laughs> when I was really cute long ago, and that's the part that really bugs me. That's why I'm not in the movie as much, because uh, that was easy. Oh, I look too fat. Take that out. <laughs> Desmond, you look amazing. I don't. It's it's like, it's shocking. And your energy and what you had to share in your story. I'm vain. Okay, I admit it. I'm vain. <laughs> What's kept you together for 24 years? The fact that I'm away a lot. <laughs> it was funny because I, I was sitting with our Republican friends on the edge of the soccer field, and one of them had been celebrating their 16th year. I said, well, we've been together 24 years. And they said... How did you stay together so long? I said, well, I prefer thinking of Curtis like somebody I had just met, and that keeps it fresh, you know? <laughs> Desmond's been a wonderful soulmate and teacher and lover. You know, we've learned so much from each other. He's taught really? me how to communicate. But it hasn't been all peaches and cream. We've had our rocky moments, and um, we've made it through. And just having these boys for me and for us is really a testament of our commitment to one another and to being together and um, to stay together. In our new normal, terms like mom and dad are not about gender, but roles. So Curtis, is your role more the mom? I do see myself kind of as a traditional daddy mom because I, I love to bake and that's just how I've always been. I kind of oversee the house. I oversee all of their activities, brushing of teeth, tucking in at night. I um, am the one who's really with them more than Desmond because he does have a travel schedule that takes him away. And I see myself as the softer kind of emotional center for them, even though when they do things that get me upset, I'm not so soft. And he's I, an amazing I, I, mother. Can I jump in here? <laughs> well, and just my experience in preschool and school, I just, that's what moms do. We're all kind of doing the same thing and I'm sitting there I have more to talk to the moms at school than anybody else and it's not even that we have some friends in Nashville who the mother is a songwriter Victoria Shaw a very successful songwriter and her husband Bob Lochnar is like the straight version of me and he's in charge of the kids and he's in charge of the meals and taking the kids from place to place so I've seen the practical application of parenthood in the world is you can't really put a stereotype to it. There's no Leave it to Beaver family. Everybody has differences. 
towards the end, I was starting to get a little concerned because I was like, wow, who is going to be their mother? My mother's my best friend. And I have this meltdown in the hospital. And I remember that night thinking, oh my gosh, they're not going to have a mother. Where's their mother? And then I started going, that's just this role. You don't have to be a woman to be a mother. It's a role that you play. And I've witnessed Curtis with the boys, and I don't know a better mother than him. Desmond, until I saw the documentary, I had no idea that so many of my favorite songs were written by the same person, much less that he was a gay man. (laughs) It's true. It's kind of ironic that I've written some of the most macho, chauvinistic songs on earth and uh, worked with tough bands like Kiss and Aerosmith, Bon Jovi. But um, Joan Jett. True. (laughs) 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 And so it's kind of ironic. But the thing is that I experienced the glass ceiling as a producer because even though bands were happy to co-write with me because we're on the equal level, once you're the producer, you actually lord over them. And so many, especially the, the, the male bands, they didn't like that or didn't want that. And also maybe the A&R people who were hiring the producers and the executives who are mainly straight also couldn't envision me in that position. So they always gave me weirdos like Alice Cooper and Cher and Joan Jett and Meat Loaf to work with because that was okay because they were kind of androgynous or something like that. And so I've only produced very few rock bands, even though I've co-written with many. But you really had huge success with Ricky Martin and Live in La Vida Loca. That's what I said. Weirdos like Ricky Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Who's now an out gay man himself. I produced his last record, Mas, and we moved in at his second home, which is on the beach. And he had a home, which is on the bay, a few miles away. And we were there seven months And we set up studios downstairs, and then Curtis and I and the boys lived upstairs, sort of a paw-and-paw operation. And that whole process, we talked a lot. I remember sitting at the very beginning, and he and I, although we had made a lot of music before, like Live in La Vida Loca, The Cup of Life, She Bangs, Shake Your Bon Bon, we had never, ever discussed his personal life. Even though he knew I was openly gay and all that, he never felt comfortable. He hadn't come out to his family to his mother. I mean, he was very concerned about their feelings. And after that, Barbara Walters kind of nailed him to the wall. He pulled back for many years and kind of went into his shell. And so when I went to start talking to him about getting together again and making this new album, he sat down and he said, how do you think I should come out? And I was like, what? And I instantly said, you should come out on Oprah. But you also were songwriting at the time, and you hadn't really been songwriting with him. So he was participating in the songwriting of that album, and you crafted songs that were personal to him and really talking about his story. And so he was singing a song that you actually had written, not with him, but... um, I remember writing a song and recording a song called Basta Ya with him, which means enough. And it really is his full declaration asserting the fact that he's going to be who he is and he's not going to go back to lying. And I remember that for the first time he brought his mother to the studio and sat down and played it for her and she was in tears. And I remember her looking at him and she said in the tenderest way, oh, you you must have suffered so much. 
And there wasn't a superstar and a situation. It was like a mother and her son. Now he has sons. Yes, he's such a copycat. He had twin sons. <laughs> <laughs> and our boys love his boys, Mateo and Valentino. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're friends and they play. When, we, <clears throat> when we're in New York City, they play in, in Central Park together. There was a great moment in the documentary where you tell your father that you are having kids. My father was a very uh, charming, intelligent man. He had known that I was gay for a long time and knew Curtis and loved him and all of that. And I came to him and told him that we were going to have children. And he looked at me with this bewildered stare and said, What? You can have children? And he actually thought that gay men didn't have enough testosterone to be heterosexual, so thus we were infertile. And that's why we didn't have children. I mean, it's a crazy logic, but it drives home the point that um, the opposition to gay marriage always says, well, marriage was created for procreation. And nobody's actually saying gay people aren't infertile. They can and they do procreate like crazy. So end of that discussion. Now, why don't you think we should be married? Shouldn't our children have the same rights that children of married parents have? That's part of what motivates Desmond and I in putting our family out there so much in a very personal way. Because our kids, for the most part, they're on board, but every once in a while we have some good days and bad days. And That's they, every family. Every family. But that. for the most part, we're trying to educate them that you have to stand up for yourselves, for rights. And, and this is how we're doing it with this film. Okay, kids, it's your turn. First, tell me who's who and how old you are. I'm Roman. I'm Nero. We're 11. 11. And who's the smartest? Me. Probably him. Tell me about your dads. Well... One of our dad has a Cuban mother. The other one, he's just... He's a pitiful hillbilly. Yeah. <laughs> we have all things in our families. They have the crazy Cubans on one side and uh, the, hillbillies the hillbillies from on Missouri. The other. What a great mix. So which dad do you go to if you want to get away with something? Daddy. Desmond. Daddy. Yeah, because I'm away a lot, so I can never say no to anything they want. And they say, Papa, you're so mean, because I'm the disciplinarian. What's it like to have two dads? Kind of uh, normal. Kind of normal, because we haven't been in any other family, so we don't know how to say how it's different. What does the word gay mean to you? When two people of the same gender love each other. What do you hope audiences who see the documentary will learn about you? That we're just like any other family. And but we're... a little more fabulous. <laughs> right, Papa? This has been a conversation with Desmond Child, Curtis Shaw, Angela Whitaker, Roman Shaw Child, and Nairo Shaw Child. To find out when two, the story of Roman and Nairo, will be at a theater near you, check out the official website at two... That's T-W-O, to thedocumentary.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Two, the story of Roman and Nero is available to rent on Amazon or stream free on the Deco app. Okay. That's it for tonight. I'm Michael Taylor Gray.
Our thanks to IMRU's executive producer, Steve Pride, and Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. If you are interested in volunteering with IMRU in any capacity, email volunteer at imruradio.org. And a reminder, because we're a global podcast, as well as a show broadcast by the station, you can always hear our weekly show posted to kpfk.org, even during our hiatus from the -the over-the-air schedule during fund drives. Also catch us at iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor.fm, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Good night. My mama told me when I was young, we're all born superstars. Mama she rolled her hair and put her lipstick on in the glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, because it made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, boy, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say, I'm beautiful in my way, cause God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby, I was born this way. Yeah, 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 there ain't no other way. No, 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 I'm on the right track, baby, I was born this way. Way, hey, I'm on the right track, baby, I was born this way, hey.